The Start On Demand. On demand. The federal leaders debate took place in French on Wednesday night and it takes place in English tonight, Thursday night. Today we talked about body language analysis, specifically as it pertains to these debates. We also learned from Global's Abigail Turner the story of a man from Treehern who, after getting COVID in May, is still struggling to recover. Milt Stiegel joined us to tee up the HSC Millionaire Lottery. We had a great chat with a passionate developer who's doing something really cool and award-winning at 90 Alexander. And I had to work quite hard to avoid a nasty stain at the movie theater thanks to my popcorn. So we had lots of fun today talking about stains. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. This is the Thursday, September 9th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. As always, we have uh, a plethora of uh, news and informational things to discuss with you. But before we do anything here, I'm looking at the schedule as inscribed by uh, Loren McNabb. And uh, I see you've noted here that Loren keeps forgetting her phone slash wallet for vaccine checks. What What is the <laughs> saga here, Loren? I don't know why I threw that in there last night. I was frustrated with myself because kids starting hockey and of course to get into the rink and to drop them off and pick them up you have to show your vaccine card and our and or qr code and then of course with that your license and so i go running into the rink because i'm off you know dropping one kid off picking another one up i don't even have my phone or my wallet on me which you can't shouldn't be driving i don't even know why i'm outing myself like this so i don't have my license on me i don't have my phone i don't have my card and all i'm thinking to myself is what do i talk about like what's my job what do I do for many minutes a day? We talk about all sorts of things, but it's been the vaccine card and code and licenses and checks. And that's like the third time I've shown up somewhere. I'm like, oh, just a second. And I got to race back to my car or in this case, race back home to get what I need to get in. And I'm mad at myself. That's all. I just I'm curious if other people have done that because a lot of people I know rely on their phone. Could they use their wall, the Apple wallet or their visa through their phone apps? And so they might not be bringing their photo ID with them when they go into an establishment or maybe you always just bring your wallet but don't have your QR code I don't know I'm just mad at myself that's all because I'm an idiot who talks about it often on radio and then in real life can't put it into practice (laughs) I went to go pick up a car yesterday from the dealership it was in for some warranty work so my father-in-law drove me to the dealership I went without a mask so I didn't even have one, didn't even think about it getting into his car because when I go into my own vehicle, I've got a, to use your word, Brett McGarry, plethora of masks available, disposable and otherwise, just in case I leave the house and, or I'm with somebody that doesn't have them. My kids never, ever forget to have their mask and I'm shouting from the uh, big garage door, I'm here to pick up my car, but I forgot my mask. <laughs> and they were really good about it. They brought me one and uh, brought me my keys. So uh, it was a fantastic service. But yeah, so you're, you're not alone in this, Loren, at all. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I just, I was standing there. And then, of course, just to add insult to injury, I looked down and my fly was down, just to add to the story at the rink. So I'm panicked, <laughs> don't have my right stuff, talking away to somebody, looked down. I'm like, how long has this been going on? Just a rough night, I guess. And then I've 
and then I went home and watched the French debate for good, goodness sake. So I just you're like a sucker I wanted, for punishment, aren't I think you? I wanted to have a bad night. You know what? <laughs> make a really terrible night, a full panic, not enough organization, and let's try to watch a debate in French and see if you can make heads or tails of it. Who didn't know? Were your kids able to understand more of it than you? Because you you posted something pretty funny on Twitter last night about that. Well, and this is the honest truth. I I turned it on. I didn't watch it from the get-go. I think I put it on. It started at 7 last night. The English one starts at 8 tonight. But this one started at 7. So I didn't put it on until 8. And uh, son's having a – youngest is having a bedtime snack. And so it's just on in the background for him. And it had a translation, Brett. So they – I was only periods of French that you would hear. I was listening to it with the translation on TV. And he says, do these guys hate each other? And I was like, no. Why – I don't know. I don't think so. Why do you ask that? Well, they're always interrupting one another. And then I said, yeah. Why do they do that? I was like, I just, I guess that's how they have to, you know, they're, they're having an argument. Are you sure they don't hate each other? And I was like, no, actually I'm not, but I like to think they don't. And uh, I didn't get a whole lot out of that last night. I'll, I'll be honest about it. No. Greg, are you excited for tonight? Oh, Brett, I cannot wait. Uh, I'm <laughs> going to readjust my sleep schedule and do everything I can. And get, is it Okay. That this is on our radio station tonight, and uh, I'm not excited about it at all. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, I'm not excited about it at all. Yeah, I sat there last night thinking about it, thinking, ah. Oh. I watched it last night with the translation. Oh, you did? I did, and uh, I, I lasted 45 minutes. I don't understand continually how politicians who are looking to gain trust, looking to find a way into your heart, into the ballot box refused to answer a question very simple questions that went unanswered it was mind-boggling and at the same time completely expected yeah but you know here's where i'm at and brett i know you've been frustrated from the get-go with this i i was also asked by my son last night do you know who you're voting for and my answer answer still remains no and so i turn in moments like these for something you know like you're give me something like you're sitting there thinking show me that you've got passion or show me that you've got is there one thing i can hang my hat on that's going to turn the page for me so i can make a decision and, and end this and that's why i watch and I, I i'm still going to hope for that tonight i've got hope they were talking about that on the shift a couple of hours ago how there really hasn't been a knockout punch in these debates in canadian politics for for years i think they went i think he said the last one would have been maybe turner and mulrooney oh i knew did they say that i was like that's the only one anyone brings up and that's what uh late 80s i think so yeah yeah. Yeah, that's a sad statement. Yeah, so it, anyway, if you want to watch the debate or listen to the <laughs> debate, you can listen to it right here live on 680 CJOB. We will have that at 8 o'clock. And at 637, I'm looking forward to this conversation, Greg. Leaders debate body language analysis. Yes, so, you know, we can be paying attention and listening closely for what our guest at 637 call, calls aha moments. I think we're all looking for that. Aha, that's why I should vote for you. How do you establish them? How do you create them? But also, what are the leaders telling you with the things they don't say? How important is body language? How important is it in terms of active listening and the different things that you might be getting almost subliminally from these leaders based on how they hold themselves, their posture, et cetera. So I'm looking forward to, to getting some insight into that. There's I'm a imagining, why. sorry, Brett, I was just going to say, I'm imagining you as a politician and my son watching the debate and being like, this guy is mad. 
If your, your resting Brett face would be like, he's mad all the time. He looks mad and nervous. That's, that's why I could never be a politician because I always look cranky and I'm so awkward. I never, like, when I'm just standing, especially on camera, I don't know what to do with my hands. I'd be like, where do I put my hands? I don't know where to put my arms. Uh, when I did a couple of those uh, things with uh, Gabby, when the couch potatoes were on talking about movies around Christmas time, just having to stand there for four minutes as still as possible is one of the hardest things I can do. I, I am so fidgety. So <laughs> I yeah. love it. Ooh, this guy's fired up. <laughs> Who's that guy with the fidget spinner? Yeah, they just asked him his name. Look at him. He's very angry about having to say his name for everybody. Hey, he's got a purple fidget spinner. I think I'll vote for him. <laughs> Body language. Body language. This is a Queen song? G Mac? Yeah, it's one of the. They were in that kind of disco era there. Another one bites the dust, that sort of era. Wow. This comes from uh, that. The uh, video for this is uh, quite uh, sensual. <laughs> so <laughs> last night we had the leaders' debate in French. As we head towards the federal election, Loren, on September 20th. Yeah, and so the leaders will gather again tonight to try and convince Canadians that their party is best equipped to lead the country. But we're asking how big of a deal are the debates, Greg, and really what can we learn about these individuals? If we don't hear something we like, what about the things that they don't say or the way that they act? Robin Braley is going to try and answer some of those questions for us. Robin is a communications specialist, writer, and speaker. Robin's blog site is branditwithrobin.com. And Robin Braley, we want to thank you so much because you are in Calgary, Alberta. It is 5.38 in the a.m. And you are up and with us, so we appreciate it very much. How are you this morning? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm up and happening and ready to rock and roll talking about body language. Well, we appreciate it again. So what percentage of communication is nonverbal? I've heard some extraordinary percentages on this. Well, body language is a series of indicators. Simple changes in body language can dramatically impact how people feel about you and interpret what you say. You don't want to send mixed messages. Strong body language speaks to confidence, credibility, and trust. Shifty eyes, wild and crazy gestures can support or detract from what you're saying. Now, we're talking about active listening as well, which is letting the speaker know they are being heard and clarity, say what they mean and mean what they say. And, of course, it also comes down to trust. Can you trust these guys? And poker players call that a tell when they're reading body language in the midst of a game. Are events like debates a big factor in how undecided voters will eventually cast their ballot, do you think? Oh, absolutely. Uh, It's a time uh, to... Uh, watch and listen to their candidate uh, compete with others as far as ideas is concerned, presentation, and a sense of whether uh, they can be prime minister. So is there things that you, you know, people don't have the appetite for, Robin? I'm thinking, you know, if someone starts finger pointing, uh, eye rolling, the, the, the things that we might do in our everyday conversations that when I'm watching that debate, I'm wondering how hard they're trying to constrain themselves from what might be typical habits and then what the viewer might not appreciate if they're doing any of those things. Well, last night we saw uh, uh, Mr. Blanchett finger pointing when he was under attack about uh, uh, some of his positions on uh, uh, Quebec. 
we saw him uh, rocking back and forth on long shots. And long shots are a real uh, indicator of how engaged people are. Are they actively listening to the person that is speaking? Long shots. Uh, so in, in a TV debate, there are a gazillion cameras, and they're shooting from the side. There, there's overhead cameras. So that can often tell you uh, a lot about what the candidates are doing. But uh, Blanchett, uh, as, when he would start to uh, feel under attack and feel a little uncertain, he would uh, go back to some of his basics. He's really a strong speaker. All of them are really strong public speakers, and it, it wasn't like someone really won. Now, Justin Trudeau, of course, is a master at uh, uh, body language and communicating. He uses his whole body. Now, we saw the angry Justin on Labor Day, and the question was, would that carry over into last night's debate? It did, but there were times when he would just lose it a little bit. And his, while well, his body language is balanced, his gestures, he uses his whole body to express some points, solid hand gestures, where uh, Justin would uh, tell us that uh, what was really happening inside his mind was when he finished. He has what I call a smarmy smile sometimes uh, when he finishes uh, uh, making a statement, and uh, he would do that uh, right at the end of his statement. The other thing that he doesn't do uh, or that he does when he is really getting upset is he won't look at the speaker. He'll look straight ahead, uh, which he did with Aaron O'Toole a couple of times. And Aaron O'Toole was right beside him. It was really easy for Justin to look over and uh, uh, and observe what uh, or listen to what Aaron was saying. Uh, now, Aaron O'Toole had a, a good debate uh I would call him uh, 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 Mr. Nice Guy, and he was Mr. Nice Guy throughout until the end when they started talking about abortion, gun control. Uh, that's when he looked denied. He didn't really lose it, but he looked annoyed uh, at, at that time. Uh, one of the things he does with his gestures, which is distracting, is he goes, uh, he puts both hands together, which is a universal sign of prayer. And that was his go-to move. When he didn't know what else to do, he put his hands together, and that could be uh, distracting. Uh, periodically, he uses his, his body for emphasis. He is uh, consistent, reasonable, never rattled, which, of course, you'd like to have in a prime minister. Uh, Jagmeet Singh, I thought, lacked energy last night. Now, he is Mr. Relatable. Uh, he comes across as engaging, as transparent. Uh, we, we learned that about Jagmeet in the 2019 election debates, uh, but it seemed like he was just a little bit uh, down. Robin, before we let you go, you talk about in your writings and in your presentations about aha moments, and we've only got about 40 seconds here. So how do, how do presenters create those, whether it's in a debate or otherwise, and can an attempt to create one backfire? Well, uh, political uh, debates are pol they're the best in political theater. And because it's free flow, and uh, uh, that is the time when they can go off talking points. And I don't think there really was an aha moment last night. Uh, there were just a couple of times during the free flow of, uh, uh, of debate that uh, you really saw some emotion kind of get hold of them. But there wasn't that really great aha, I got to vote for this guy moment last night. 
communication expert Robin Braley joining us live on 680 CJOB, the blog site branditwithrobin.com. Robin, this has been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. I remember I was on a date about 20 years ago, and it wasn't going well. And uh, the, the woman I was with, she said that in her line of work, body language was very important. And I'm pretty sure she was trying to tell me that she could tell that I was not having a good time. <laughs> she was right. She would have been right. It was terrible. What were you doing? I was just grumpy and wanted to get out of there. It was, was not going well. That was Brett's aha moment. <laughs> yeah. She aha. could see it like a bubble over your head. Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah. not interested. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Right now we want to talk about stains. And we've got Gordon Lightfoot tickets to give away. We'll give those away at 9.15. Coming to Winnipeg, November 21st, Club Region Event Centre. Tickets on sale tomorrow. Pre-sale is today. And the code is sundown. But uh, the inspiration for this topic, I went to see a movie yesterday. Haven't been back to the movies since they opened. I finally went to see Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. It's spectacular, by the way. Couch Potatoes podcast will be out later today around 3 o'clock. We'll both have our reviews of it. But I haven't had movie popcorn in, uh, I guess, since August of 2020. So I was very excited and was maybe a little overzealous with the buttery-flavored topping. And I tend to put, like, a disgusting amount of it in the bag to the point where it leaks out of the bottom. So I always have to put at least one napkin underneath. Um, one? I put like 20 in there. Well, <laughs> this was like, this was a gradual thing because within a couple of minutes, it, it had almost leaked through the napkin. It was like the Dr. Nick Riviera paper test from The Simpsons, right? If, if, it, if you can see through the paper, then it's your window to success. <laughs> so I had to put another napkin and another napkin. I brought 10 napkins with me thinking that would be more than enough. I almost ran out of napkins. So it was a race to finish the popcorn because if you get that stuff on your clothes, it's over. I've ruined clothes before with that. So let's talk stains. Stains on your clothes, bad stains, embarrassing stains. Or maybe you've got a stain in your car or a stain on your floor. Stain on the wall. I don't know. 204-780-6868. Tell us a story. Cameron Poitras, welcome back. Let's start with you. Well, it's funny you talk about uh, uh, popcorn uh, butter because that's my greatest stain is from pop, And I'm a stain master i'm staining things all the time but my greatest stain was uh i went to go see 1917 which is a fan i rewatched it it was it's fantastic excellent um but anyway so i was sitting there watching and i always had a very big bag of buttery popcorn and i kept wiping my hands on my uh on my pants <laughs> and so i went and saw and she was my wife at the time but i went and saw uh, my wife and was just like oh hey how's it going and she goes what is that on your on your pad leg? And I look down, and there is literally a handprint. You can make out every single finger, the thumb on my leg, about where. And so she's she was just beside because I was out and about. I was in public, and I didn't realize it. I I, I kind of wiped it down. I said, "Oh, it doesn't look too bad." And I was just walking around. And she was beside herself, and she worked very hard. She got the ch- she got chalk out. She got rid of the stain, and the pants have survived. Uh, another day, they, I, I can still wear them without, but but they will forever be known as my popcorn butter hand pants. That's- chalk, yeah, chalk works. It got it out. Really? Yeah, it did. Yeah, it was, she worked very hard. Oh, I'll, I'll give wow. her all the credit in the world. Oh, that's amazing. Because it, it was it was bad. It was really bad, and I didn't think it was as bad as it was. Could the team from CSI Vegas, when they return to Global TV next month, could they have lifted your fingerprints or handprints <laughs> off of your pants? <laughs> oh, I'd I'd have been red-handed, caught caught to rights. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Loren, what about Go you? To rights. 
the butter. What I'm wanting from listeners this morning is these ways to remove the stain, like the chalk. Like I, I always get excited. It's not the right word, but I'm like, I can get that out. And I'm committed. I'll spend days trying to work a stain out. Uh, butter's a bad one. Coffee is terrible for me. But what I'm excited to see these days for the kids because of spaghetti sauce basically staining every item of clothing that I think we own is tie-dye has made a comeback. And now I'm like, great, we'll just get you a bunch of tie-dye shirts and it's all gonna, it's all gonna blend together. That's my strategy right now. So I'm not, I'm not actually not bad on this, but it feels like everyone else in my life, I see them walking around with the, whatever they had for breakfast on them. Mackling? Oh, it's uh, really a celebration of my house when I do not spill something <laughs> on a piece of clothing when we're having a food item with uh, any sort of sauce or any sort of beverage. In fact, um, my brother, who did such a nice thing for me back, oh gosh, uh, 25 years ago when the Jets left, he stole my Winnipeg Jets jersey uh, to frame it and give it to me for my birthday. Well, it's framed, hanging in my home, complete with mustard stains, Pepsi stains, and the popcorn butter stains that I inevitably got on my Jets jersey over the years. So it is there for all time and for all to see. It's very apropos. Uh, Jeff Braun. Uh, once this apartment I lived in years ago, I was going to move out. And of course, you have to do the uh, inspection to get your security deposit back. And I had stained the carpet, the brand new carpet, which was less than a year old. And I didn't know what to do. So when they came to do the inspection, I just stood on top of the stain. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't move for the whole 10 minutes that they were inspecting the thing. I just stood in the middle of the living room and sort of pivoted around as they went around the apartment. And they were in the bedroom. I was like, all good in there? I was like, yeah. I, was like, all right. I, just, I just stayed on the stain. Did you Got get my your full de- deposit back. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, boy, Jeff. Well done, sir. Well done. Oh, that's great. Forte? Oh, I've been getting ready for a night on the town. You know, I've got a nice dress shirt on. My hair's done. I'm, you know, I'm ready to meet the ladies. Hmm? And, <laughs> and then, of course, you know, I go to brush my teeth. And you slop the toothpaste <laughs> on your shirt. Oh, yeah. And then you got to go change. And you, you, your outfit doesn't match your shirt. And... There was no ladies that night. <laughs> you had fresh breath, though, Forte. That is true. Brush your teeth in the shower, Forte. You never have to worry about that. Well, I, I also do that. I brush my teeth in the shower, too. And that's interesting. So um, do you have, like, an electric toothbrush, or is it just a bit your, your basic toothbrush? Just your basic. Okay. Oh, yeah. And you, you keep said toothbrush in, in the shower as well? Well, no, I take it out because apparently bacteria uh, like grows on it, so I do take <laughs> oh, no. it out of the shower. <laughs> apparently the shower is the grossest place in your house. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> really? Just yeah, the, I don't know. Yes. Like, I just have, like, I was told that, like, bacteria grows, like, on a, in, like, a moist area like that, so I... Yeah, you were told I, that after you walked around with butter stains <laughs> all over you. Yeah, just who to help. told, who, who, She's I just who trying told to help you that. Um, so we're getting text messages here. Uliana, for example, says she uses a, a slurry of Great baking word. soda, hydrogen peroxide, and Blue Dawn soap mm-hmm. to get rid of grease stains like butter. And Becky, meanwhile, says a few years ago I went to see a movie. It was really scary, so I kept putting that uh, free theater magazine in front of my face to hide. After the movie, uh, I go home, go to the bathroom, and my face is stained all black <laughs> from the magazine. <laughs> <laughs> wow, she must have been really scared. A, a few years ago, I I had a 
my hands. I looked down at my hands. Actually, this is when I was in university. My hands were blue, like a blue stain kind of color. But I was feeling like heart palpitations and my hand felt like all stressed. So I'm calling my friend's mom, who's a nurse, and giving her all my symptoms and going over like, like, Heather, should I go to the hospital? Like, what do you think? And she said, are you wearing new blue jeans? And I was like, I am. She's like, go wash your hands, you idiot. Because oh. I had been touching my jeans all day and they turned blue. But I had diagnosed myself with a heart attack. Heart attack. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we are getting some great stain stories and text messages. Shauna's is outstanding, and we're going to share it in our next segment because you'll never believe what her kid got on. Well, we'll just save it, save the where and the what for when, when in our next segment. But this uh, it was a quick one here. My wife calls me the stain ninja. I've never met a stain I can't conquer. Blue Dawn removes absolutely all stains from all surfaces except ink. For ink, you need to use rubbing alcohol or hairspray. What is it about the Blue Dawn that makes it different from the other Dawn, Loren? Do you know? It has that cute duck on the front, and that duck has been <laughs> saved, and therefore it's going to save your clothing. I think that's the only thing I can conclude. Well, that's but the it lesson is. There, is it? It's always don't you be doing yellow dawn, don't you be doing orange dawn. It's the blue dawn. <laughs> so, I don't know why. Okay, I'll have to try because I think I've got a pair of uh, shorts that has this lingering, frustrating stain. Not a bad stain. It's just this one spot uh, that I just can't get it out. So we'll. I'll try the blue dawn. Thanks for the tips. More of your stories in our next segment. But right now, we have an important story that we want to expand upon. You've been hearing uh, bits and pieces of it in Jeff Braun's newscast. This involves a Manitoban who was hit hard with COVID, and he's hoping his story serves as a warning about the lingering effects of the virus. Greg. He was diagnosed months ago, Brett, but as Global's Abigail Turner explains, he's struggling to get back on his feet. People have to realize, like, this virus is serious. It can do a lot of damage very quickly. Four months ago, Chris Eastford was in a medically induced coma. His doctors tried to save his life from COVID-19. When he first woke up that first day, like his first words were, I want to come home. I want to come home. I want to come home. The 35-year-old says he was one of the lucky ones who got to come home from the ICU. But that hasn't been the end of his COVID-19 journey. It's just the beginning of a long recovery. Anything more than 30 or 40 feet of walking with a walker when I first got out of the hospital was difficult. Um, I was fatigued very easily. His wife, Alyssa, bought a special chair for the shower and installed equipment to help Chris lift himself off the toilet and out of the shower. We moved our bed into the living room so that there was less space that Chris had to walk from the door to the bed and then the bed to the bathroom. Okay, 98. What's next? Four months later, the 35-year-old's life now consists of multiple doctor's appointments and physiotherapy three days a week. Sit back. Five seconds. Almost there. And good. He's still not able to work. It's just, it's weakness. You feel like everything's heavy. Um, like my arms, my legs feel heavy. I feel short of breath, so I'm 
get like almost gasping for more. The couple want people to realize the lasting impacts COVID-19 can have. Okay, there's 75 people in our ICUs and the next day there's, uh, you know, higher or lower. Like what happened to those people? Like some of them didn't die. Some of them came off the ventilator, but what is their life like now? Alyssa and their then 14-month-old son also contracted COVID but recovered at home. She says the support of their community in Treehearne helped get the family through. There's a, a sign down the street here that we put community announcements up on and events, and it um, had us on it. It said, like, prayers and strength for Chris and Alyssa. It said, COVID has hit home. So, yeah, we had a, our community really showed up for us. And while their difficult journey continues, they say something positive did come from Chris's story. Countless, countless messages from people saying that they weren't planning on getting vaccinated or they were on the fence or they hadn't really even considered it. And then when they saw what was happening to us, they went and got their vaccine. Like, I feel like we did get granted our miracle, you know, like the one you get to ask for your whole life. Like. We got it, so nothing else can, bad can happen because we used up our miracle. <laughs> Abigail Turner, Global News. So many things stand out in that story. Listening to it, you know, we've been saying for months that, yes, most people with COVID-19, they'll recover while self-isolating at home. And she, the wife and their son, had COVID and they recover at home. But he ends up in a medically induced coma. That's back in May. Think about the time that's come from them for to be 35 years old, in rehab, in therapy, physiotherapy, still struggling to, you know, walk. And all the changes they had to make in their life as a result. Uh, a really powerful piece there, Greg, because I think that's the message we've been hearing over and over over again and, and she made it there people get out of hospital but then what it's not just straight back to work or straight back to life as you know it yeah i think it's uh one of the situations that we maybe don't think about with covid is the fact that it's going to affect different people differently over time and so now we're learning more for as much as we're trying to learn about prevention i think there's going to be a lot of research done in terms of the long-term impacts of covid on those that maybe even had a mild case of it they're they're talking about all sorts of potential long-term effects and something i think brett we're going to very very definitely going to have to keep an eye on tough to hear a story like that but uh, so glad that it's worked out the way it has and thank you to global's abigail turner for bringing us that story from global winnipeg Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, we've got Gordon Lightfoot tickets to give away for November 21st. We're asking you to tell us a story about a stain on your clothes, on your car, somewhere in your home, or if you've got a solution on how to beat the stain. And Shauna is asking the question, Loren, I don't know, how do I deal with this one? Yeah, so Shauna texted, she says, my oldest has the nickname Captain Spilly Pants. <laughs> which is awesome, by the way. Captain Spilly Pants literally spills everything he touches, but this takes the cake. She shared a photo. You can see on the ceiling brown spots, and she says, that's chocolate milk on our 15-foot vaulted ceiling. Still not sure how we are going to get that off. On the ceiling. And you throw the cup. Like, when you spill a cup, it, it goes down. I'm, I'm just, like, excitement? Watching a game? 
The question, what's going on in here? Yeah, the question is not how are you going to clean it, Shauna. The question is how did it get there in the first yes. place? Oh, I, I did that at a friend's place once. Christmas party, I don't know how many years ago, but I was three sheets to the wind and I was going out for a smoke and I had a drink in my hand and I was trying to put my boots on. You know, there's like there's a crush of shoes and boots at the door. So I, I lost my balance with said drink in hand. And uh, and it, it, I didn't drop the, the cup, but the drink found its way all the way up to the ceiling as I threw my arm up. So there, there's that. And I remember uh, when I, in my previous apartment, I was trying to get the, the seeds out of the, a pomegranate. And I read some trick where, because it, it's tedious doing that. But I read this trick where if you cut it in half and then you hit the back of it with a wooden spoon, um, and it works great. But if you manage to puncture the shell, that's not so great because then you mash a seed and it... It looked like I had murdered someone in my apartment because the, I was finding red splatter all over my ceiling and ceiling fan for months on end. Spanking a pomegranate. That's a new one. I hadn't heard of, of that technique. Uh, my mom <laughs> called me. Uh, I, w- I think I was getting ready for my first ever university exam. My mom called me at 630 in the morning in a panic. There was blood splatter all over my baby sister's bedroom. And my mom was in an absolute panic. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what happened. So I rushed over, and it took me about five minutes to figure out. It was a scary sight, Loren. It was like someone had been in there in the middle of the night. Our cat had had scratched behind her ear so badly that it was scabbing, and then the cat was scratching it again. And then you know how animals shake their head? It was splattering blood all over my sister's on her on her uh, on her comforter on her walls. It lo- it looked like a literal murder scene, and I understood why my mom was freaking out. But it's like, oh, it's a stupid cat. Uh, I was thinking it was going to be mosquitoes. You know, when someone just goes swatting <laughs> at a swarm of mosquitoes. Oh, it would have been a million mosquitoes. It was bad. Oh, wow, gross. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, thank you very much for joining us today on The Start. Every single day, 100 million litres of fresh water or more flow from Shoal Lake, west of Winnipeg. But the people of Shoal Lake, 41st Nation, which straddles the Manitoba-Ontario border, haven't had clean drinking water of their own for decades, Loren. Yeah, this goes back to 1915, first of all, just in terms of how this all started, when the First Nation community of about 300 people was cut off from its mainland during the construction of an aqueduct that was built to supply Winnipeg and Winnipeggers with clean drinking water. So that move turned Shoal Lake into an island, and for the better part of a century, the only way on or off of it was by boat. There was no road access. Then, in the late 90s, Shoal Lake 40 was hit with a boil water advisory. But it took years, years for most Winnipeggers, Manitobans, Canadians, governments to really start paying attention to this crisis. Last year, construction of an all-season road, dubbed Freedom Road, was completed. And now, a water treatment plant is pretty much ready to go. We're joined now by Bill Wape, Show Lake 40 First Nation Councillor. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. So let's start with what I think is good news. Is the water treatment plant officially up and running? It's nearing completion uh, we're still waiting for um some tests on the water to be completed and then uh, once that's done it's completed bill tell us how this is going to change life for folks uh in your community uh, 
we will have access to clean drinking water. We, we won't have to rely on bottled, imported bottled water anymore. And that's uh, a huge step for our First Nations. Yeah, like some of us might have experienced a boil water advisory for a day or two. Um, and even that's a, a big inconvenience. So what's life been like living without drinkable tap water for some 24 years? It's, uh, it's very hard to deal with. Uh, some of the water that we had in the past is uh, discolored water, brownish, and uh, we had to bathe our kids in that. And that's uh, something that we, don't, we won't have it any, any longer with this new water treatment plant. So are we talking we about the next? Sorry, Bill, I interrupted there. Yeah, you couldn't drink it. Bathing in it would be concerned. And so, um, I, b- I believe I understand that the water was often brought in from, say, Kenora. You'd have to truck it in from other places and then put it across on the boat until you had the road. Like it was quite a process. Yeah, it, it was a, a huge process. It was uh, very hard and uh, thankful for the road. Now we don't have to have to uh, truck across the ice. It was it was dangerous that time. So this is really two uh, terrific stories at once in terms of uh, the changes on your First Nation, uh, Bill. Not only the water treatment plant, which you say will be up and running shortly, but also Freedom Road. Tell us about the the access that that has created. What has that done for your community in terms of getting to health care appointments and for getting uh, certain supplies into uh, your nation? Um. Without Freedom Road, the water treatment plant wouldn't have built, been built on time, I'm guessing. Uh, we were able to just truck in material that needed to be brought in for, for the treatment plant, and it's, it's been built, and it's built on time, under budget, and uh, we, we, we actually, it was a huge success. But there's actually three things that, have, that occurred. One was the Freedom Road. The second was the water treatment plant. And the third is a new elementary school for kids. So, so when, a, when does that open? Like, uh, is that finished and done, Bill? Yeah, the, the, the new school is, uh, is complete. The, the kids are attending it uh, this week, and uh, they are all very happy. Wow. Does, that, does that school get built without Freedom Road, Bill? Uh, not, no. Again, trucking in material would have, uh, would have been an issue. We would have had to plan, uh, during uh, the winter months to bring in material for, for the school and uh, let it sit for a while. And then we would have to build and it, uh, without Freedom Road, it, none of this would, would, would have been possible. Now in 2015, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau promised to end uh, boil water advisories within five years of election. More than 100 have been lifted, but 51 remain. What's your response to that? Uh, for my own, I can only speak about for my own community. We're, we're grateful that uh, ours was kept on the table and uh, it's, it's actually completed, uh, near completion right now. So uh, we, we are grateful for that. Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, people that we have to thank uh minister jim carr uh, dan vandell the, the, all these guys played a big part in uh in um bringing uh, the the infrastructure that we needed for our community so I, that's all i think i, can tell I you. think they 
would appreciate your thanks, Bill. But at the same time, you're, I, some might think you, you're being really gracious here because it has to have been incredibly frustrating to get just average. You know, I, I would bet there are Winnipeggers who still don't get where their clean drinking water comes from, let alone the fact that it comes from a lake that that your people have been able to drink clean water for years out of their own tap. So there has to have been some frustration on the way. I appreciate your your graciousness and thanks now, but for the community, man, were there days when you thought, thought nobody was listening? There, there, were, there were days. This is a 20-year process. It, uh, it was The water treatment plant was put on the table. Uh, this is our third attempt at it. Uh, our second attempt, I was working on that, and we brought in uh, gravel again during during the winter months on on an ice road, and uh, for some reason it stalled. Uh, it was stopped and uh, taken off the table, and uh, there was no construction. Now that uh, it, it took a lot of uh, a lot of uh, political wrangling, there's uh, multi-jurisdictional access. That, that we had to deal with. Uh, you're dealing with the city of Winnipeg, the province of Manitoba, uh, the government of uh, the federal government of Canada. There's, there's, it, it was a huge uh, undertaking. It was hard, hard work to get to the water treatment plant construction stage. Bill, we've just got a few seconds left here, but the future of economic development now for Shoal Lake 40, is this something now that you can contemplate and you can look forward as, as, you, uh, as you look back a little bit here? We, we're, we're hoping that we can. Uh, now we have access to, to venture outside of the community and, uh, and uh, access uh, opportunities within community distance of our, uh, our First Nation. Uh, we, we are working with the other other partners in the region to uh, bring economic development to the members of uh, Show Lake 40. Bill Wappe, Show Lake 40 First Nation Councillor, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Bill, thank you very much for this. Okay, thank you, guys. Greg, have you ever had to uh, go through a boil water advisory? I think just the one or two times. that The, the, the one time here in Winnipeg, and we had one uh, for a very short period of time in Vernon, uh, uh, cryptosporidia, I think. I, I know I'm saying that wrong, uh, but uh, yeah, this just the two times. I can't even imagine this. Loren, uh, the, I I don't know if you've ever had water issues uh, growing up uh, on the farm or not, but uh, man, nothing worse. We had to haul water, but you know, you still had clean drinking water when the water was hauled, and I really, I can't say enough about uh, the work and effort that they've put in. I've visited Show Lake 41st Nation um Lovely people, lovely community, and to know that the taps are, you know, hopefully days away from being turned on with clean water. That's a long road, but they're there. Mackling McGarry McNabb, our question of the day that went up yesterday afternoon for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them Mr. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. And the question we had yesterday was should vaccinated people get priority over unvaccinated people in hospitals? And the results, as of right now at cjob.com, we have 36% who say yes and 64% who say no. And uh, Loren, this must have uh, stemmed from conversation that was had yesterday where we were asking, what do you think of unvaccinated Canadians who should get, do you think they should get bumped down the priority list for medical treatment if they get sick 
specifically with COVID-19? Well, it's certainly come up before, and I know there's some jurisdictions in the states that are talking about it. This stems from, from first from an Angus Reid poll that found that, you know, the frustration is growing. We talked about that divide growing and people, you know, support for vaccine passports growing. Well, the Angus Reid poll found that half of vaccinated Canadians, or nearly half, so 46%, said that they do not believe unvaccinated individuals should receive the same priority for treatment if they are sick with COVID-19. So this is what has been described by many as a worst case scenario. And as I said, there's some spaces in the States that are talking about this because ICU capacities are, you know, really, really, really diminishing, but it's not been put into practice. And Richard and Julie asked Ray Watt Dianandon with the University of Ottawa, his thoughts on it. Here's what the epidemiologist had to say. It surprised me it took this long to have that attitude. And by the way, I'm I'm not in favor of this attitude. I don't think we should be fomenting anger in the population. But it's useful, though, if the unvaccinated realize that there is discontentment with that behavior. But I don't want to suggest that the unvaccinated people not be eligible for service and care. They must be remain eligible. Greg? Yeah. We've talked, we've, this has come up before. I mean, and yes, just for context, has. 95% of the hospitalization for COVID-19 right now are those who are not vaccinated or not fully vaccinated. So 95% who are, are in hospital are not vaccinated or fully vaccinated. And so this has come up a few times, right? And it really irks people, but that's a pretty strong, that 46% of people thinking that there should be kind of a queue system here. Yeah, that's concerning to me. Yeah, it's bothersome to me as well because uh, let's be honest, uh, I I co-hosted the health report on behalf of St. Boniface Hospital Foundation for almost a decade. And, and for that decade on Sundays, we interviewed researchers, doctors, uh, healthcare practitioners who quite commonly would discuss the really the prescription for a healthy life. And so much of it had to do with controlling what we ate, the types of food we had, uh, getting more exercise, not less. And that prescription helps a whole litany, almost all of our ailments, the things that put us in hospital. So, you know... Quite often, we will get text messages or interactions from people. Well, then where do we draw the line? People who have heart disease, are you not going to treat them? No, nobody's suggesting that. Are we going to draw the line? I don't want to be drawing the line, but you know that triage takes place all the time. They prioritize who gets into the emergency room ahead of you or behind you every single time you go into an emergency room. That is the nature of healthcare. Those that need the care most get priority. But one story that I've been willing to share uh, is, a, is a family story of ours. And to imagine that this doesn't take place in the healthcare system, I think, is folly. Uh, my, my cousin, uh, God rest her soul, uh, lost her life uh, about a decade ago. She uh, liked to drink wine on a very regular basis and to the point where her liver um, uh, didn't like it very much. And it broke down and she ended up in hospital and she needed a liver transplant. But this was the deal. As she lay in a hospital bed in Calgary, the doctors said, until we can even put you on a list for a transplant, You need to commit and you need to stop drinking for six months. She decided to keep drinking instead. And those are decisions that that do happen right now, plain and simple. It's a 
it's a, it's a, it's a scenario where, you know you don't want to ever have to put yourself in and get to and have someone present you with that list of options like your family member Greg or or even what we're discussing now. I think Brett maybe more than anything, and and the epidemiologist sort of touched on this is that it just speaks to the growing frustration that vaccinated folks are feeling when it comes to what's going on here. And that's where their 46% might be at saying, hey, like not, not only do I support these vaccine passports, but I think maybe that's how we would start triaging. And it, it, would they really want to put it into practice or is that just where they're at with their annoyance right now? Well, indeed, uh, the frustration amongst the... I, I, and we know there that the unvaccinated are very frustrated, uh, but it's the same for the vaccinated because, you know, when you hear doctors say things like the pandemic has essentially ended for the, vaccinate, for the vaccinated, that's difficult to ignore. And when you look at numbers uh, from Kai Hai, the uh, Canadian... I can never remember what they're actually what, what the what the what does Institute it stand for? for Health Information. Thank you. It's such an awkward. Kai <laughs> Hai, just go with Kai. They, health info. Health okay. info from for Canada. The estimated average cost of a hospital stay for COVID nineteen is more than twenty three thousand dollars. That's that's new information revealed today. That's about three times the cost of a stay for a heart attack, seven thousand dollars, or pneumonia. For $8,000, and the estimated total cost of COVID-19 hospital stays in Canada, excluding Quebec, was almost a billion dollars in 2021, and it tripled between November 2020 and March of 2021. So when you look at the financial repercussions of this as well, it's pretty alarming And when you consider that uh, in terms of ongoing or future cases, we can get rid of that. We can put a stop to it. But... Feel free to weigh in, 204-780-6868. And Greg, thank you very much for sharing that story. I know that probably wasn't easy to discuss, but we appreciate uh, your honesty and vulnerability on that matter. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, you've got us rocking this morning with all of your text messages at 204-780-6868 on Stains. We're giving away Gordon Lightfoot tickets at 9.15. It's coming to Winnipeg November 21st. Pre-sale today, by the way. The code is SUNDOWN. Melissa B. says, Dish soap gets pretty much anything out. And Melissa went on to say, My neighbor is a single man in his 40s. One day he asked for my advice on getting stains out of his clothes. Well, I made the mistake of asking to see them and ended up doing a whole load of laundry because I was determined to get the stains out. I felt like I was cheating on my husband by doing another man's laundry. Oh my. Now, whenever he asks for my advice, I say, just put some dish soap on it. He was very thankful, though, as I saved him from throwing the clothes out. Ooh, that's like uh, rubbing another man's rhubarb. You don't do another man's laundry. <laughs> and I see that someone has added Cat and Gimli. Who put that in there? I did. Many years ago, before I was even a mom, I was a foster mom. One of the kids once left crayons in a jeans pocket and of course guess what went through the wash survived the washing machine but not the dryer i opened the door at the end of the cycle to discover an entire load of clean clothes streaked with bright red crayon not a single (laughs) garment escaped i remembered a lore i had acquired in home ec class and blotted the wax uh, with a paper towel and a warm iron then treated every stain with sunlight dish soap and rewashed everything. Bingo! Not a single stain remained. Takeaway, always check the pockets. Wow. 
Lorraine, you ever leave anything in the pockets before oh, it goes in the laundry? Yes, of course. And I love it when I'm upstairs and I can hear something clinging or clanging around in the washer. I've, a shoe has ended up in the wash. What? Had, just because, you know, you're like, you scoop up laundry, or you grab things off the floor, you know, and depending where the kids were or what they toss in, and I'm, I'm not paying attention sometimes, and it's in a laundry basket, so you just march downstairs, throw it in, and then you hear, boom, 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 and you're like, huh. I don't know what that is. It's like mid-cycle. Can't do anything about it. Pull it out. Huh. It's an extra clean shoe you've got there. So shoes, <laughs> coins for sure have ended up. Gum, which is disgusting. Mm. Lip balm, which also just ends up disgusting. Lipstick. Yeah, what haven't I quite wow. frankly washed? I should start putting some pasta in there and see if I can get lunch. <laughs> <laughs> multitasking boil the noodles while you're washing the clothes uh, the whites <laughs> uh, so keep those stories coming at 204-780-6868 uh, we should also probably mention this earlier we ran a story earlier from Abigail Turner and she told the story and you're being, you've been hearing the story as well in Jeff Braun's newscast about a Manitoba couple warning others that COVID-19 symptoms can last far past infection and uh, we just uh, were being advised that uh, Chris, uh, the man featured in the story, uh, he was in. He got his infection. I think it was May, mm-hmm. uh, Loren, and he wasn't yet eligible to receive uh, his vaccine when he got sick. And while his wife and son both contracted it, they recovered at home. Uh, but he, Loren, uh, is still feeling the lingering effects today uh, and continues to uh, go through rehab. Yeah, thirty-five years old contracted or got COVID-19 back in May, ended up in a medically induced coma. And out of that, you know, really struggled. Just he mentioned just walking 40 feet would be out of breath. He's in rehab right now. I'm doing physiotherapy and whatnot for his limbs and strengthening things. And also just, you know, strengthening the heart and the cardio and all the rest. There's been so many changes to their life. They had moved his bed, you know, downstairs. So he was closer to the bathroom. They had to put in one of those lifts for the shower to get him in and out like that's how weak COVID has left him and so they the story is really compelling because it leaves you understanding just what can happen if you do get it and that medically induced coma we've had doctors on just explaining you know they're putting you into that but man that what the impact it has on your body Greg is huge and then we don't often hear what happens to those out yes people survive and they move on and they go home but not everybody moves on quickly no, and of course we touched on just ever briefly on the fact that research is being done because this has only been around. There's only so many people who have recovered from COVID-19. Fortunately, most people who get it do recover, but I'm just on the mayoclinic.org website right now, and they're saying common signs and symptoms that linger over time can be fatigue, shortness of breath or difficulty breathing, cough, joint pain, chest pain. But here's the one that jumped out for me because I was sure I'd heard it somewhere and I wanted to verify memory, concentration or sleep problems, muscle pain or headache, fast or pounding heartbeat, loss to smell or taste, depression or anxiety, fever, dizziness when you stand, worsen symptoms after physical or mental activity. So as I said, uh, this is something that experts and scientists and doctors are going to be focusing on and watching uh, for, for the next long while as we figure out you know, if you've got some of these things, maybe you had COVID. Do you have COVID now? Did you have it at some point? Maybe this is the uh, cause of some of these things you might be experiencing. 
Question of the day at cjob.com is brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. And the question has to do with tonight's Leaders Debate, which is on at 8 o'clock. We're carrying it live on 680 CJOB, commercial free. And the question's simple. Will you be checking out the Federal Leaders Debate tonight? Yes, the whole thing? Yeah, I'll tune in for a bit. Probably not. Or nope. And so far at cjob.com, we have... 60% 60% who say nope, 20% yes, the whole thing, 20% probably not, and no votes so far for yeah, I'll tune in for a bit. We just posted it a few uh, moments ago, Loren, but... Uh... Okay. I was like, oh boy, they're really, really not interested. You know, again, like I say, I think there's a lot of undecided people out there, so maybe when you tune in for 10 minutes, that helps you decide, or as one listener says, it just firmed her belief that she needed to turn the TV off immediately because she wasn't interested in watching the French, French debate last night, English debate, of course, tonight. I will say, I this is, this is the first, I've tuned in to the French debates before, but last night was the most time I've ever dedicated to it, Greg. And with the voiceover, like the dubbing, the translation that comes, there is less yelling because they kind of like soften the yelling in the background. <laughs> Good point. And so you don't hear, like, you know, at one point Trudeau was really fired up about, I am a Quebecer, I will always support Quebec and I love Quebec, but I'm also Canadian. But it's being said, I am a Quebecer, I support Quebec, I love Quebec. I will always love Quebec. And you can see him yelling in the background and you're like, oh, they're not, you know, they're not acting the way that people are acting. And in some ways, you just listen to the content. It was somewhat soothing in a a different kind of way. It's a really cool point because uh, not only can you hear and you did an excellent job of copying or mimicking the way it comes out, you can actually hear the translator thinking about, I think this is exactly what that person just said. And sometimes there's that polite pause. Yep, that's exactly right. And then the speed of it will pick up a little bit. Yes, I'm catching the gist, but what a talent that is. To translate oh. on the fly like that? My goodness. Uh, I understood like six mil. I was like, does that mean million, six thousand <laughs> six? It's definitely a sixer six of in some there. sort. Did they have different translators for each? Yes. They did, yeah. which was fantastic yeah, also. I, I actually feel like maybe that's the way to go. Like you should dub over the English with just different English, like Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> 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 then, then it would get a- even angrier. But you'd watch that. Yes, I absolutely would watch that. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, the 2021 HSC Millionaire Lottery launches today. Tickets available right now at hscmillionaire.com. Is this my turn here? I had my mic down. I'm all casually listening, waiting for the voice that we've all been waiting for. But yes, you'll want to order soon as last year's lottery sold out early. Your ticket purchases, of course, Greg, they support our doctors, our nurses, our staff, and all the healthcare heroes that we've been talking so much about, particularly this year. And really, it supports anyone who depends on HSC Health Sciences Center Someone will become Manitoba's next millionaire. Why can't it be you? Yeah, get your HSC Millionaire Lottery tickets to get in to win over 2,000 prizes. They're worth a combined $2.29 million. Six grand prize options, including home packages or $1.2 million in tax-free Canadian cash. To see all the incredible options, head to hscmillionaire.com, get your tickets, and begin the process of deciding on which grand prize option suits you best. 
We welcome back to the start one of the best players in CFL history, longtime Winnipeg Blue Bomber, Canadian Football Hall of Famer, CFL broadcaster, <gasps> honorary Winnipegger Milt Stiegel, spokesperson for the HSC Lottery, joins us now. Good morning, Milt. Good morning. Good morning. How you guys doing? We're doing fantastic. Always terrific to connect with you. This lottery is always a great excuse to do just that. It reconnects you as well to the community and the community which loves you so much. How have you been? I've been great. I've been great. Uh, you know, just working, uh, traveling again, back up to Toronto, uh, of course, working the CFL, and of course, looking forward to this uh, millionaire lottery once again. Uh, as you alluded earlier, it sold out early. Last year, and we're expecting the same thing because we know how uh, everyone in Manitoba comes together to support a great cause. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, the lottery is really about doing good things for not just the hospital, but the community. And you could argue what the Blue Bombers are doing right now is good for the community, too. Good for the spirits. I'm going to give you a hint. The answer to this question, Milt, is pretty simple. Are the Blue Bombers the best team in the CFL right now? (laughs) Yes, they are. Yes, they are. And I, and I can say that. And people may say, well, you're being by. No, I'm, 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 I'm speak, as my kids say, I'm spitting facts. You know, <laughs> they've proven, uh, you know, week in and week out, besides the one, you know, falter against Toronto, that they are the best team. And the main reason is because of that defense. So uh, they have to keep doing that week in and week out. But right now they are the best team. Players like Jamarcus Hardrick and Willie Jefferson in particular, like yourself, not born and raised here, but they seem to have an undeniable connection to Winnipeg and the people. Why do you think that is? I mean, I always say you, you look at the license plate, friendly Manitoba. And, you know, when Americans come up and play in Winnipeg, uh, if, 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 you're, if you decide that you want to be entrenched in the community and do such great things, the community – accepts you and that's what players are finding out now these younger guys i found it out players i played with some of those guys found it out and there's just such a special place it goes beyond just playing football it's things you're doing the community uh players like adam big hill looks like who's going to be living there for the long term you get involved in those things so uh it's just a special place to to be even when it gets minus 50 million you know it's still a special place to be so uh, I call it my other home, not my second home, because uh, I'm loved there, and, and I love just giving that love back. It's such a connection, and we've had this discussion off-air, on-air before, but it's something special about the Canadian Football League and, and the players here that come from elsewhere and that love that's given, that love that's received and, and exchanged as well. And it's uh, such a special relationship that the Blue Bombers have with the community overall. Uh, Tell, tell us why you never went to play anywhere else. I know you had, you know, stints in the NFL, Milt, but certainly other teams must have been, you know, trying to pry out of Winnipeg over the years. Well, it, 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 it's doing things like I'm doing now, you know, with the Health Science Center. Of course, I wasn't doing that when I was playing, but just doing things like that, and you get involved with that, and you don't want to lose touch with those things. You know, of course – uh, the main reason why I was there was to play football. But as the years went on, I started doing so many other things outside of football in Winnipeg and throughout Manitoba. And I realized that I was more than uh, I was, I was put in Winnipeg more than just to play football. And once that uh, triggered, once that kicked in, I decided, you know, this was going to be the place as long as they didn't trade me where I was going to not only start my career, but finish my career. And I was just so fortunate to do that. And now I'm still involved and, 
and things there. Uh, you know, we're talking right now about the Health Science Center Millionaire Lottery. You know, I, this will be my fifth year, I think fifth or sixth year doing that. So uh, if I wouldn't have decided that I was going to stay there, I don't know if I would be able to still do these things. So uh, dividends are, are uh, paying off long after my career. You know, I've been retired for 13 years now, and I'm still able to do things uh, throughout Winnipeg, and it's such a blessing. And I'm, and I'm excited and, and thankful for it every single day. Man, it's been 13 years. Where has this time gone for us? Uh, Milt, you yeah, talk no. about <laughs> you talk about how you're you're back out on the road and you're eventually making your way back to different communities for uh your football coverage but also coming here to Winnipeg. It, you know, it's something what's it like to be able to come back after not being able to travel all that time and just kind of seeing your home away from home? It's it, it's special. And I and I haven't been able to get back to Winnipeg, but uh, I'm 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 talking uh, to, to the individuals, the powers to be at the Health Science Center and the Millionaire Lottery. Uh, Keith, I know you're listening, so I'm hoping to get back up there soon because I miss being in Winnipeg. I mean, that was the first time since 1995 where I haven't, you know, stepped one foot in Winnipeg, and it, it was crazy. It was a feeling like I've never felt before because I'm so used to being up there for some reason, and the fact that I wasn't up there, you know, it was unfortunate. But I know uh, soon I'm going to get back up there uh, to – to make sure that this millionaire lottery uh, continues doing what it's been doing for years, to have an early sellout, to make sure everyone in Manitoba who's, who's able to, to support this supports it because, you know, the Health Science Center provides services like no other, and we have to make sure that these doctors, that these, that these resources, that these uh, state-of-the-art uh, equipment that's needed uh, will be able to continue doing what they're doing. So I'm excited. You know, I've been back up to Toronto last week. I'm going back up again tonight. I'm looking forward to to getting back up to Winnipeg uh, very soon. Yeah, there's a connection with the football teams, all the sports teams, HSC, hscmillionaire.com. And, of course, don't forget about the 50-50. That jackpot can grow to $2.2 million. It's like a second grand prize. You know how it works. Winner gets half. Buy your tickets now to get in all the early bird and bonus draws as well. hscmillionaire.com or 204-253-5680. Milt Stiegel, thank you so much for this. We'll catch up soon. We appreciate you much. Thanks for having me on. You guys take care. We're talking about stains. We're giving away Gordon Lightfoot tickets on it for November 21st. I think we got ripped through these texts here. Greg, why don't you start us off with Bill Turner? About 20 years ago, a friend bought a brand new quad cab pickup truck. His son was working on a project that required purple spray paint. For some reason, he left the can of paint under the driver's seat in his dad's new truck. Oh, no. His dad later got in the truck and was adjusting the electric seat. <laughs> A can of paint. Oh, no. Yep. Was being crushed in the mechanism of the seat until it ruptured. The can started spinning and came out from under the seat and sprayed purple paint all over the interior of the truck from the headliner to the dash to the seats. The truck was one week old. I saw it after the incident and struggled not to laugh. Oh, my gosh. Okay, that normally would be a winning text, but we, until we get to the, the winner. Demera, by the way, also had an issue, a situation on her 21st birthday. She was bar hopping on court, and she bought herself a purple feather boa. Purple again. Yeah, my favorite color. Uh, probably why I grabbed these two texts. Uh, but it dyed her neck bright purple. So, whoops. No, And, of course, none of her friends told her. Uh, but then Lorenz Steve, also with a great one, also in a truck. Yeah, I moved to Winnipeg from England in 2000. 
2006. I wasn't aware of the temperature change. Where I lived, it never went below zero. One evening, I left a can of Coke and Orange Crush in my truck in the cup holders. When I left for work in the morning, I opened up my door, looked inside, and the interior of my truck looked like a Jackson (laughs) Pollock painting. The cans had exploded and went everywhere. I never again left pop in my truck overnight in winter. Oh, yeah. You know what, Steve? We've made that. We've all made that mistake, and some of us uh, grew up with these winters. But Keith is our winner. Yeah. Uh, And again, Bill's was, these are all great, but Keith, uh, just the nightmare. Like, I, I sat here reading this, Greg, and I thought, oh, my. Oh, I, I, you know, I used to be famous for my parties at the same age group. And, um, well, here it goes. When I was 13 and a knucklehead, I thought it would be a great idea to have a party after a Sadie Hawkins dance. Boy, was I wrong. What seemed like a whole school back in the day, um... Yeah, they showed up and it was raining. My parents had left me alone for the first time as they went to the lake. Well, everyone didn't take off their muddy shoes. And needless to say, the living room carpet was a disaster. So this is pretty mediocre stuff, right? Until we get to the solution here. Didn't have any spot remover, so thought I'd use gasoline. That didn't work out very well. My parents came home and it smelled like gasoline as well as the neighbor told him I had a party. Wasn't good for me. I can't believe you got away with only two weeks yeah. grounding, Keith. That, that's what I thought. I thought grounded for two weeks. That is a year. Like a year no. off, man. You should still be grounded for that one. Congratulations, Keith. Thanks for all the wonderful stories on stains. Keith's going to see Gordon Lightfoot. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. While producer Jeff Fortier tries to track down, we're trying to reach our guest because we want to tell you about something cool that's happening in the East Exchange. But uh, in the meantime, I just I have to pass this on because this headline just caught me off guard for a number of reasons this morning. Here's the headline at globalnews.ca. Lil Uzi Vert says fans ripped $24 million Vision diamond, like the superhero Vision, from his forehead. I don't know if you've seen this, or if you've probably never heard of Lil Uzi Vert. Apparently he's a huge star in uh, rap music, and apparently he's known for fashion. Do we have a guest? We got him? Okay, so we'll bring... I've just finished this off, but just look that. Look up that headline. Lil Uzi Vert, he's got a $24 million diamond in his head, Greg, and uh, he's been paying for it since 2017. I want to know how good this guy's music is that he can afford a $24 million <laughs> diamond. I've never even heard of him. I'm not saying I'm on top of all the latest stuff, Loren, but this game is a shock to me. Which part? The diamond embedded in the forehead? Yeah, nothing the, like that shocks me anymore. Just the, the value of said diamond. The value diamond. of it, yeah. $24 million. Uh, that's a big chunk of change. But, you know, I guess if you got it, spend it. <laughs> I don't... I'm not sure. Apparently, he got his nickname in the streets of Philadelphia because as he spits his rap lyrics out so fast, it almost sounds like an Uzi gun. So anyway, just if you want to read an interesting, bizarre story about a guy with a massive diamond in his head, then uh, there you go, globalnews.ca. In the meantime, this next story, Greg, is a nifty combination of starting from scratch to find success and old meets new. I like the fact that you're trying to bring Nifty back, as described <laughs> in the email that tipped us off to this. 115 years ago, Winnipeg's Exchange District was a hive of activity. Boats arriving at the Alexander Docks, freight cars loading and unloading in the Warehouse District, and workers jamming sidewalks. 
A new signature housing development at 90 Alexander is rising from the ground that aims to honour the old, embrace the new, and bring back more street life and vibrancy to the iconic area. If you've been to the exchange or the Alexander Docks area, you've definitely seen a lot of change and more vibrancy with each passing year. But this project is the first Winnipeg project for Canadian developer Round Square. It's in collaboration with the Winnipeg firm 5468796 Architecture, and it's already an award winner. We're going to give you more of those details in the moment, but first we want to bring on CEO of Round Square, Al-Karim Devani. Good morning. Good morning. Well, thanks for taking the time for being with us. We want to get into this project in a second, but uh, it's our understanding when we were setting this up last night that we were informed you're a real success story, an immigrant success story for a new Canadian, basically starting from scratch. Can you give us a bit of background? What's your story? Yeah, uh, I heard you guys talking about little Uzi Vert, so I was just chuckling here because I figure, you know, if you don't, if you, if you, if you're not sure about the cool kids, you just got to say little or baby at this point, and I think you'll cover most of the new rap <laughs> genres. So you're talking about bringing the old and the new, and that's how I stay informed with my kids. I just say, oh, is that little or is that baby, and I, I generally get it right. So <laughs> that was a good, good one. Um, yeah, yeah. So next time, just say, yeah, it's, it's got a little or a baby, and you're good. Um, Sorry, I did. I was laughing as I heard that. Um, yeah, um, my parents uh, actually were were uh, both refugees of uh, uh, East Africa. They migrated uh, in the seventies, um, and uh, yeah, I'm a born and raised Calgarian. My brother and I both started Round Square five years ago, uh, and my dad actually, when he first migrated over, he worked at TP Rail, and he'd been there his entire life for thirty years. And uh, my brother got into real estate. I kind of followed his footsteps, and we've kind of built the business from the ground up, as you had mentioned. And so it's been. Uh, really fun and we're we're extremely excited to be working in winnipeg alongside you know an amazing architect firm uh in 546 and also uh our urban landscape team is is partly from winnipeg as well and so really excited to be a part of the exchange when we you know the first time i ever came to winnipeg uh, generally you don't stop in winnipeg uh and you know we were told about the mosquitoes often but i remember walking into the exchange and just feeling like it's this like hidden gem and i felt that way all about winnipeg the culture the food uh it's just such a great city and and we're so excited to be a part of that kind of change and evolution of a re- revitalizing the exchange district it's it's wonderful that you say that and you put it that way because for a lot of people their experience if they live elsewhere it is a stopover and typically you know it's in january or february on your way from calgary to toronto or maybe you're even on a charter on your way to somewhere warm and so that's a usual experience winnipeg is sort of underestimated it's underregarded in other cities but that's really changing now with regard to real estate investment and development so Tell us about this project in a little bit more detail and the idea, you know, it's a pretty large development. There are people, will be people, Al-Karim, who will look at this and go, that's a lot of apartments to be building in Winnipeg, but it just really scratches the surface of what's needed in our community. Yeah, yeah, you make a good point. Obviously, I think this is something, you know, we're seeing uh, talked about nationally right now with regards to housing accessibility, but also where people live and the choices that, that they make. And one of the things I would say that I was really fascinated by Winnipeg 
is just the investment and, uh, you know, with what Center Venture is doing in the downtown core to make communities more walkable, more livable, uh, and, and really focusing on uh, the urban experience and how people commute and travel was one of the things that when we first came there that we were truly excited about. Um, and it's funny, you mentioned January, February, like, I think I came there um, like during us, like one of your cold snaps, like minus 35, 40, it was the forks and you guys had the warming huts, but I was still just blown away by how many people were out in the forks and frankly embarrassed for, for us in Calgary. Cause you know, if it's minus 10, it's, it's a ghost town. No one's going out anywhere. And you know, we were walking, I remember to the jets game from the forks and I was like, it's minus 30. Like, what are we doing? And everyone that I was with that was from Winnipeg was like, Oh, this is fine. It's totally cool. And so, Culturally, I just feel like it's such a resilient city. Um, and, you know, jumping into the, the development and the need for housing uh, and, and particularly, you know, rental apartment housing, there's just such a demand for that. And we're seeing a trend in where, you know, buying is not necessarily the highest priority for some of these younger generations. They're looking for flexibility, but they're also looking for less auto centric. They want to walk. They want to be near kind of, you know, the non such kind of breweries of the world. And so, you know, when we strategically made that decision and we were designing this project, there was an opportunity to take an existing heritage structure in the Great West Metal Building uh, and as well add, you know, new additional apartments. And I'm pretty close to some of the Skip the Dishes folks, and I, I'm sure you guys have heard Neo Financials is now opening another head office in Winnipeg. And so I just think there is this huge demand. And I think, you know, the Winnipeg School of Architecture, like the Manitoba School, has done such an incredible job at being a really vital part of redeveloping that city. And starting to see that kind of, you know, from the ground up is really, really cool. And we just feel fortunate to be a part of it. Now, we mentioned the awards and nominations the project has already received. In December 2020, Canadian Architect awarded the Award of Merit for the building's design. And just last month, the World Architecture Festival in London named it as a finalist in the Top 16 Residential Future Project category. So what makes this project so unique and special? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. Obviously, I don't want to take the credit for for that. That was your kind of local talent there uh, in Winnipeg in 546, who are just such visionaries and really try to merge, um, I would say, you know, human scale living with great design and really believe they can accomplish that. Generally, great design has always appeared to be, you know, only for those who can afford it. But I think 546 really tries uh, to push that and create design accessibility for those who generally don't get to, you know, be a part of those type of buildings. And so, you know, I would say with this one, obviously the heritage component was a tricky one, but also how it integrates into the site. The site is quite large. It's almost like an entire city block. Uh, and as you kind of think about the interfaces with Waterfront, with Alexander, how do those interface with each other and how do humans interact to this space you know being on the you know the furthest edge of the exchange we really wanted to make sure we could draw people in and so they designed this amazing plaza on the corner like there's these amazing kind of public spaces as the building does this snake and so i just thought it did such a great job at you know not only providing space for the residents that live there, but most importantly, how does it interface the community and how does it actually reside in such an amazing district in the exchange? Well, we uh, love your passion. Thank you very much for bringing this project to Winnipeg. It looks like it's going to be sensational when it's done next year. CEO of Round Square, Al-Karim Devani, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Take care.
It's expected to be done by July 2022, seven-story building and uh, the 200, more than 200 suites, which are going to range in price from 1200 to 2200 per month. Uh, Greg, this building just looks really cool. Yeah, and the way it integrates with the existing building and ties it all together. We've seen that at the James Avenue pumping station as well. You know, in order to save some of these heritage buildings, there has to be new development alongside of it. And the fact that developers from outside of Winnipeg are recognizing the opportunity here I think is very good news for our city and to uh, to create something so innovative like this hats off uh, to everyone involved. Yeah, like Loren, I went to uh, Red River College in the downtown campus and uh, you know I thought it was so cool how they worked so hard to save that exterior along Princess but then merge it with this modern brand new facility. So yeah, the Exchange District's a pretty cool place. I think people, you know, it's one of the things I miss most when I moved out to Polo Park for CGOB and was so glad when we moved back downtown. And it's, I can't wait to get back downtown to work because of that connection to the exchange. If you haven't been down there lately, go. There are so many cool little spots and restaurants and pubs. And, and now this uh, hopefully bringing more residents down there too. It's just uh, can only be a win in the end. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.